Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking about IT modernization and digital services. My first guest is Marvo Delore, the Deputy Executive Director of Digital Services at the Veterans Affairs Department. Marvo, let me just start at the beginning. The U.S. Digital Service released a report to Congress. This is an annual report, it, and it's full of really interesting information and, uh, and updating us across the board on all a bunch of different projects that USDS is working with agencies on. From your perspective, you're working on uh, several projects with USDS at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Talk a little about your portfolio and all the work that your office is working with USDS on around really modernization of, of different pieces and parts of VA. Our goal is to basically demonstrate that government can repeatedly deliver these simple and excellent services for veterans. And the, the goal is that we want to show that that's doable with industry best practices. And so we have three North Star objectives, essentially, that kind of guide our work. And this is in collaboration with our VA partners, which is crucial to being successful. And those three North Star objectives are to improve our users' experience when interacting with VA, to enable faster access to care and more timely delivery of services, and to increase the use of VA self-service tools. So we've been here for just a little bit over three years now, and we've launched 11 new products, and that's like big um, overarching products and many more smaller ones. And we're helping VA to get to the cloud. We're working with their technology acquisition center to improve the way they approach contracting, which, as you can imagine, is a very, very big part of government work. And just a quick example is that in the past year, we've deployed code into production 338 times. Very impressive in terms of the amount of code and the amount of products, 11 new products. Now, a couple of those that that, uh, you guys are working with that was highlighted in the USDS report to Congress is the Vets.gov. Now, we've talked a lot about this, but give me a sense of what's new on Vets.gov in 2017, and, and then we can go from there some of the projects. A couple of things. One of the big ones is upgrading who can sign on to vets.gov, and we did that by incorporating the My Healthy Vet logon. That gives 4 million more veterans a very, very simple way to access the best tools possible for them to um, access care at the VA. We also modernized the education benefits application and the GI Bill Statement of Benefits so that people can go online and see exactly how much money they have left with the GI Bill. Previously, if I was a GI and wanted to look at my uh, Statement of Benefits, I'd have to call VA, I'd have to do what? You could call VA and you would also get a certificate in the mail. So that's quite a difference, right, from being able to log on somewhere and immediately see your statement of benefits. You'd have to wait and get something mailed to you. And that would cause problems because if a veteran was going to classes and, and going to school and they thought they had $1,000 left and they only had 500 left and they spent $1,000, they'd be responsible for that other 1000 I mean, that, that's what we're really talking about here, quicker decision-making, more information more quickly. That is correct. That is correct. And talk a little bit about the other piece of this was the, the login. Now, I, I know you guys are, correct me if I'm wrong, working with the folks from ID.me, and mm-hmm. this is a big, big change in terms of the third-party authentication, but not just the fact that it's third-party authentication, but it's one, it's a single sign-on, or at least the first step toward a single sign-on, correct? That's correct. It's the first step. And so we have been working with ID.me, and we also have the ability now that veterans can use DS Logon, which is the, the defense um, system, the DOD system. So that login that they get as soon as they enlist or become commissioned officers. Um, and also my healthy vet, as I mentioned before. So you have millions more veterans that have, that they can use the credentials they already have to get access. 
Um, and piece of the My Healthy Vet aspect as well is that now you can get this LOA3 certification without necessarily having to go and do in-person proofing, which is a big burden basically off the plates of our veterans. And how do they do that? I don't want to get into too much of the weeds with the different technologies, but before if I had to show up at a veteran's office, a VA office, and, and say, hey, this is who I am, here's my birth certificate, here's my passport, whatever, mm-hmm. now I can do it online or I can do it based on if you will, information you know about me based on my service to DOD or my interactions with VA? So this particular improvement is around the fact that a lot of veterans might, they already have a relationship with a VA medical center. And so by putting this consent form online, you don't have to make a special trip to that medical center that you already have a relationship with just so that you can get access to online tools. And that was the case before. And this was especially onerous for our veterans that live in rural areas where they there's now these tools that they found out about that are online and they want to access them. And yes, they do go to the medical center, but they might not have had they might not have a medical center trip planned, right? For the for maybe months or even a year. And this way they don't have to make a special trip just to be able to access to get all of the access that they that they want. And the key here is that this the veterans already proven who they were are who they are to the VA center, so that's why they don't need to show up again to prove who they are again. That is correct. Okay. And, and, that's, and that's in this case, and of course, um, we're continuing to make improvements so that you can, in the future, the idea is to take as much of the burden off of veterans as possible, and so that's where we're, that's where we're headed down the line. All right. I mean, all three of these are good examples of, of great progress. You were going to tell me more before I jumped in to, to ask uh, all these questions about changes to the GI Bill, so tell me some more work you guys are focused on. One of the things I wanted to emphasize was March 21st, we actually released Appeals Status Version 2, and that is a very robust tool. It will be very difficult for me to describe over the radio, but we have a lot of great um, information out there about it. But what it does is that it, it helps veterans to see exactly where they stand in the line. And veterans have told us that they prefer to know that they're whatever number of people it is back from the front of the line than to just not hear anything from the VA. They made that very explicit to us, and because we design with our veterans and not for them, we listen to to what they wanted, and that's that's what we've provided. This new status tool also is going to be very helpful with the implementation of the Appeals Modernization Act that was signed into law last August and will go into effect in February. We're working with the VA and trying to make sure that, as the VA, we are not behind the curveball on the implementation of that new law. That is such a big step forward for so many reasons, because as you said before, veterans would be like, I have no idea where I am, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. How big of a lift was were, were these changes, whether it's the appeals tool or the GI Bill? What did it take to get you from point A to point B to, to, to better service? Some of the key things, so the USDS playbook is what we follow on everything that we do. And the, the key underpinnings of that are designing with users, as I mentioned before. So that's the first step. And the users are both veterans and VA employees in both of these cases, right? Because there are VA employees that that steward the GI Bill. There are VA employees that steward the appeals process. So that's kind of what it looks like. And we work very closely with contractors. One of the things I mentioned was us working with the VA Acquisition Center to modernize um, contracting practices so that you can use agile methodology. And so we worked with contractors that use that type of methodology and we're basically embedded with them. They're embedded with us and vice versa so that we can, we can really work shoulder to shoulder and develop these industry class tools for veterans to use. 
So it takes a lot of user research that we do. We have a lot of usability research that we do. We do sometimes soft launches so that we can see how something will, will behave in the wild before we do any big splashy press releases about something. But that kind of, I think, hopefully gives you kind of an overview of how we operate. Now, the playbook is something that's been out there for quite a while. That's right. How long or how big of a lift was this to get VA to move in that direction so you could use it and be good at it? Because 11 projects is a lot, but this, again, this has been ongoing for quite some time. I think Vets.gov, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, two or three years you guys have really been making progress on Vets.gov. Mm-hmm. It's taking time to learn. It's taking time to train people. It's taking time to get the acquisition side on board. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that process to get to move from beginning stages to stage two or stage three of the playbook in terms of where you're very good at it. How have you done that? One of the things is that the VA basically agreed that they wanted us to be here, you know, three years ago when we when we became the first agency team of the digital service. VA signed up essentially, so they enlisted themselves. And so they have been very, we've been very collaborative. We consider ourselves part of VA. We always say that, you know, there's nobody coming to save us. We are it. And we are VA ourselves. We're also you digital service. So we have this kind of, we wear two hats. And I think that we try our best to wear them as well as we can. In terms of the way that VA has progressed over the past three years, I think it's like anything else that we are colleagues. And so we share ideas, we demonstrate things that we have done, we show successes and we share successes. Nothing that we do is digital service at VA did something, it's VA did something. If you notice any of the press releases, that tends to be how, the, how, how we kind of try to call that out because it's a close partnership. So I think that's, the, that's kind of how it's happened. So we sit together with the teams here at VA and we are, we're colleagues and they teach us a lot and we also teach them. We have these brown bags that we a brown bag series that we started where our colleagues will come and learn different modern development practices from us and give us a lot of information about the ways that they have already started implementing a lot of these practices, not because of digital service, but because they are just very, very dedicated public servants and they want to do the best thing that they possibly can. And they love the fact that there is a group here that's basically formalizing some of the great work that they've been doing over the years. Talk a little bit about the USDS influence on you guys. You talked about the playbook, but does the folks in the White House, USDS, come and work with you guys because you're part of USDS and part of VA. Are you meeting with the USDS folks back in the White House to make sure you're on the same page? How's that relationship work? It's a very interesting relationship, actually, because they talk about it kind of as a federated model, right, where there's USDS headquarters, and then we have all these agency teams. And the VA team is literally half and half VA employees and White House employees that all sit together and work together on these different projects here at the VA. And you'll find a similar mix at a lot of the other um, agency teams around, around the district. So that's one piece of it. And in terms of culture, there are a lot of USDS-wide activities that all of us participate in. So when we have USDS staff meetings, all the agency, you know, if you're technically an agency employee versus a White House employee, all of us are considered USDS, and we all participate together. So there's that kind of cultural aspect as well. And when it comes to being on the same page, we have weekly leadership meetings with all the agency leads and the White House USDS leads. And we also have 
on the order of every six weeks or so, we have USDS leadership from the White House coming to the different teams, talking about the projects, discussing you know, any kind of roadblocks we might be facing, any gnarly problems that we really need more brains to operate on. Because as you know, we have some world-class developers and product managers and designers spread out throughout USDS, and so we want to make sure to spread that knowledge as much as we can. We have to take a break. My guest is Marvo Delore, the Deputy Executive Director of Digital Services at the Veterans Affairs Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Marvo Delore, the Deputy Executive Director of Digital Services at the Veterans Affairs Department. Part of the goal of USDS from the beginning was to really help agencies understand and tackle problems and push toward that modernization piece. So let's, let's swing back around to the VA more specifically now. When you look back over the last year, were you surprised by the progress you made? And if so, tell me why. And if not, tell me why you weren't surprised. Was I surprised? I mean, because at the beginning of the year, you set goals, right? At the beginning of the year, mm-hmm, you say, this course. is what we want to accomplish. You don't always accomplish everything. And sometimes you go, wow, we did more than I thought we were going to do. Maybe, maybe I just am looking for maybe a little bit more about the overall, like, again, started at point A and you're getting to point B or C or D. Mm-hmm. So I think one of, the, one of the biggest things I would say, if, if, maybe I'll call it a surprise, is that, for example, I was not here at the beginning of 2017. More than half of our team was not on this team at the beginning of 2017. And the, the ethos of, of helping veterans, of, work, of collaborating with our VA colleagues, that ethos has just been a continuous thread throughout all of the changes, because that's the USDS model, right, is that nobody's here for very long. On average, we're here for about a year and one month, and so just about a calendar year, essentially. And the ability of the team to remain cohesive and focused on these goals and just have this passion, this continued passion, it's almost, it's almost like a baton being passed continuously, and it, it works. The, the system works. One would think that there would be so much institutional knowledge lost with so much turnover all the time, but instead what you have is a robust attitude around documentation, about having coffee talks with folks that, have, that are about to leave, having ask-me-anything sessions with folks. And just, just today I was talking to one of my colleagues about this idea that we are laying the groundwork and thinking about right now the people that will be here at the VA in 2022. We're thinking about them and making sure documentation is lined up and ready for them so that if there's anything we cannot accomplish for whatever reason today, they'll be able to pick up that baton and go running with it as we continue to work on the things that we are able to accomplish right now. That's crazy that half of the team was not there at, at the start of 2017. I said half and it's probably more than half. Let me ask you about the the role that the VA Digital Services Office is playing in terms of the communication with the VA CIO's office or Mm -hmm. some of the other offices within VA. How do you guys work with with the CIO's office to start? When you say how do we work with them, like what type of relationship we have or like the the mechanics of how things go? Yes, both in the sense of when you guys decide to go, okay, we're going to add the new appeals system. We're going to bring that online. You don't just do it in a vacuum, right? You have to go to the CIO's office. You talk to them about okay, we're going to put this in the cloud and we're going to use this type of cloud. So, mm-hmm. so how does that conversation work? Because I know it's before your time, but, but USDS maybe had a little bit of a reputation as not always playing well with others. 
Um, so the CIO, the acting CIO right now is a big fan of digital service. He likes what we, what we do and how we do things. And I think that's one of our kind of requirements for being, for being at an agency is to have that, that support from the higher level executives. So there's that aspect of it. And in terms of, of playing well with others, what we try to do is do some user research when we have an idea about something that we think will be helpful for veterans. And then we create, basically make a case that we share with a senior leadership about what our plans are. Now, one of the things I will say is that we do have a certain amount of autonomy in terms of what particular project we might choose for a particular quarter, right? So the overarching idea is that we want to give veterans the best possible online tools following those three NOSTA objectives that I mentioned before. And so every single individual project is not necessarily something that all the way up to the CIO needs to approve specifically. Along the way, we keep him informed, we keep his team informed about how things are going, what we're learning from veterans. Before anything gets launched, we show him what the tool looks like and share with him the, the feedback from veterans that has informed the development of the tool, and then we go from there. So that's kind of how it works. We, we do have some control because we're talking about individual products on the vets.gov overall platform. Part of this also is an architecture thing. It's also a modernization thing. Mm-hmm. If you guys are going to go to the cloud, let's make sure we're using the cloud that's been ATO'd, right? And that's if you guys right. are going to uh, bring in a new technology, do we already own that technology? Right. Or do you, are you buying it new or buying a different version than we already have? Do we just that's need right. to upgrade? That's right. Yeah, and I, and I think sometimes USDS has gotten, you know, I'll call it, a, a, again, a, a, a reputation of not necessarily mm-hmm. doing those things. This, this has been a great conversation. Let's talk about 2018 a little bit. Here we are about four or five months into 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- what are your goals for 2018 and beyond? So the biggest thing that we want to do is we want to make sure that it's very, very simple, immeasurably easy for anybody, whether it's a veteran, a dependent, a caregiver, a VSO, even a current service member, to be able to go to va.gov and quickly and easily find exactly what they want. We want to basically have digital tools that are on, that are on par with the best Fortune 500 company type of digital experience. So think of your Bank of America's, your Kaiser Permanentes, et cetera. So that's kind of the big overarching vision that's driving everything we do. And then that breaks down into smaller subsets of the different pieces. So I mentioned on the appeal side, we want to make sure that we provide us all of the support that we possibly can and then some as the Board of Veterans Appeals implements the new legislation, uh, the Appeals Modernization um, Act. On the veteran-facing tool side, it's the work on VA.gov, and that involves people being able to log in. And we talked about the different ways folks can log in today to log into to VA.gov to be able to look at all of the different benefits that they've earned from education to claims, their medical experience, their interface with the VA medical centers, the online aspects of that. We want to try to consolidate all of that so that, again, it's super simple for people to, again, get get access to the benefits that they've earned, be able to track, to be able to manage all of those things in one seamless way. So that's kind of the big vision, and we're, we're building the pieces, this some of the pieces this year and continuing to build the pieces in the years to come. So on your agenda, for instance, what's, a, what's one of the big projects you guys are working on for this year? So one of the big projects is disability claims. So right now you can track your claim status on, the, on vets.gov, but you cannot apply for every single type of claim. And there are a number of those. And so we are knocking them off one after the other so that a veteran can go to whatever, whatever the, the URL might be, that they can go to one place 
and apply for a benefit, find out, learn, learn about the benefit, apply for the benefit, track the status of that application, and then manage the disbursement of that benefit once, once that happens. So that's the, we have a list, a number of them, and the biggest one is disability claims, and dependent claims is another one that we're working on this year, and so that's, that's what we're working on. And I think one key thing to point out is that I'm not talking about simply taking a paper form and transforming it into a, a modern digital experience. It's more asking questions and asking to fill out blocks. That is a big component of what we do. The biggest part of it is actually the back end that nobody will ever see, working with our VA partners on how these forms that look beautiful then interact with VA systems. And a big part of that is developing APIs, application program interfaces, so that you can have kind of modular reuse of those APIs depending on where, where you need them and what you need them for. Talk briefly maybe about some of those, the approaches you guys are using to move to the cloud or, or use the cloud or use the modern technologies and capabilities. We do not hold back code when we've made an improvement. We deploy every day. So to vets.gov, we deploy every day at, at two, the deployment starts at 2 p.m. so that there's, you know, the, for whatever the technical reasons, I won't get into them, and then we actually go live at 3 p.m. So if somebody sees a mistake, if there's any con concern from anyone, the, the change can be made the next day, which is a very, very big change from the typical government website when it takes on the order of, on a sh short time scale, three months to change some something. All right, very nice. Marvo Delore is the Deputy Executive Director of the Digital Service at VA. Uh, Marvo, thank you so much for taking the time and talking to us today. Thank you so much. We have to take a break. In the next two segments of the show, we hear more about the U.S. Digital Services work with the Defense Department's U.S. Transportation Command. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests for the next two segments of the show are Lauren Fantano, a project manager and designer, and Elliot Wilkes, a digital services expert for the U.S. Digital Service. You guys at the DaVinci Digital Service worked on two. We've done a lot on the bug bounty hacker programs, but this one is about move.mil. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, I don't know if Elliot or Lauren, who wants to go first, but talk a little bit about, give me the, the, the broad perspective of move.mil. What was the goals? What does it do? And Move.mil is tied more largely to United States Transportation Command, otherwise known as U.S. Transcom, and specifically kind of like the personal property arm of that. And so Move.mil is a small piece of kind of a much larger program that manages the relocation process for all of the military families. And so just a little bit of background, you know, in the military, when you think of families, you think of them moving from base to base. And so that is very much the reality with every military family moving on average between every one and three years. So it is, you know, over 400,000 moves a year. And so this organization basically oversees all of that. And so our involvement really began on like the software side of things. There's a, a piece of software called um, the Defense personal property system, DPS, and that is like the piece of software they've had for a number of years that manages the moving process. It's where service members go essentially to schedule the move, track the progress, and it's how they interact with the moving companies that they're working with. And that system is like a lot of other systems in the federal government, kind of old, kind of antiquated, and didn't have like the best reliability and uptime. So our initial engagement was really just 
kind of a firefighting effort of looking at that system and figuring out how to improve the reliability going into the summer of last year, which is when the majority of military families are going to move. And so at the time, the defense personal property system had a, you know average uptime of like 16%, which is not great. It means that the system would crash a lot. It was really difficult to get moves scheduled in the system, which obviously affects, you know, families and it affects the military of being able to have soldiers ready to go where they need to be when they need to be there. And so our engineers were able to take kind of two weeks out of our time and go on the ground, work with their developers and improve the reliability up to, you know, upwards of high 90s, um, ever 90s percent um, ever since then. So that was like our initial engagement. It was really successful. Coming off that engagement, we got a chance to meet with the four-star general who's in charge of the United States Transportation Command, um, General McHugh. And so he started talking about kind of his vision and that the program really should respond to the idea that they're serving the military family as a whole. And that wasn't something that they had traditionally embraced. And so he asked us what we could do to kind of help him further that mission. And so we suggested kind of taking a higher look at the problem. And so we ran, we began to run a design study over the course of the summer. We spent about eight weeks traveling to all corners of the U.S., talking to military families and their spouses, kind of in the throes of the moving process, and mapping out what the experience was really like from their perspective. And being, we were ultimately able to pinpoint a lot of areas of heartache, of stress, and look at kind of like how the program was contributing to some of that. And so some of those were technology problems and some of those were policy problems. And so we were able to kind of create, you know, a, a strategy going forward to both improve the technology, which we've done really over the last year, we've kind of turned that around, as well as kind of provide guidelines for U.S. Transcom to own some of the policy changes on, on their end. All right, that's all. That's a ton there that's back to, to really look at. And that's a great story, too, because... 16% uptime. Did that surprise you? Were you shocked about how bad of a site that was initially? The DDS team is extremely small. You know, even to this day, there are only 30 of us. And so they had actually, U.S. Transportation Command had actually come and asked the Defense Digital Service to look at the system the previous year. And um, at the time, you know, it was still alive and ticking, even at that horrendous reliability. And so we actually weren't even able to kind of help. It wasn't the most critical thing in the DOT, believe it or not, at the time. And so it really took an outage of over two consecutive weeks for us to kind of go ahead and say, now's the time to look at this. Now this is the most critical problem in the DOD and um, kind of fix it going forward. And so, you know, I think certainly it is probably shocking to people that like there are systems in the government that function at kind of that low level of um, reliability. Um, but you know, it is certainly not the worst that we've seen. The other piece of it is, how did you guys go from 16% to high 90s? You, you only, you seem to say you only worked on it for a few weeks, but but maybe you're, you're simplifying what you all really did. We had a lot of database system reliability engineers, and so they were able to fly out, do a lot of database queries, um, looking at the structure of the, the application. And the, really, they were able to kind of optimize and throttle um, some of the core problems that were um, affecting the system. And so their optimization really, really helped with the reliability issues. 
And just to tag on to that, you know, um, I, I think one of the things that they discovered in the process was um, just the manner in which the data was being communicated to sort of these moving companies um, that are taking the shipments. And one of the challenges is that they, it was, you know, it was via sort of user interface as opposed to something, you know, more robust, um, you know, an API or system system connection. And so that has been one of the things that we've identified early on, but it's been one of the things that we're actually starting to build on and build out at this point. Um, and say, like, look, there's actually a lot of greenfield here to rebuild this um, using some modern standards for how you communicate with industry, how you allocate shipment, and all of the processes and kind of the guts in, involved in this in a logistic system like that. Elliot, one quick follow-up because it occurs to me that as you guys worked on the system and you you know you got you made a lot of t- progress. When you talk about this this manner by which people communicate, help me understand what was it before and then what what is it now? Meaning, you talk about APIs and system to system. Can, can you give me a sense of how they were doing it previously? A, a lot of it was just it was just basic inefficiencies, right? So one of the opportunities that we have now is setting up just more modern communication mechanisms. So I think one of the big things that we're actually literally at the moment crafting is sort of some initial API specs to be able to more efficiently share data across entities rather than, you know, a lot of human processes that involve people typing things in, right? And, and you know, when you're dealing with a scale of tens of thousands of moves over the course of just a few months, you know, it, it's really a struggle to, to be able to meet that demand. And so I think being able to use sort of you know, best practices and, and, you know, as you kind of alluded to, sort of this batch versus, you know, one-offs, I think that's that's really kind of the concept there um, and, and a lot of the stuff that we're, we're really actively building on now. Were they still stuck in the paper world or was things electronic just inefficiently electronic? You know, really both. Unfortunately, there is still, you know, there's a lot of the government still focuses around paper. You know, paper is not necessarily a bad thing, but I think it can be an obstacle to, you know, something that where you're, you need to communicate with someone, you know, across the country who's moving your things, right? And so being able to digitize some of those just very basic sort of forms and, and things like that can have a tremendous impact. And I think that's something we've seen across USDS projects, um, but at DDS and, and with Move.mil in particular as well. Lauren, you mentioned that you guys sent kind of a firefighting team in there. You talked about a lot of the good database uh, type of folks with, with those skills to really uh, ensure the databases are working well. What other modernization efforts or what other things did you guys do to help modernize uh, initially move.mil and then the bigger uh, system generally? For you know the defense personal property system, this is one that was kind of plagued by the reliability. After we you know were able to improve the reliability, we looked deeper at the code set and we felt that the system was probably the way in which it was built was not conducive to changing that particular piece of software. So at kind of our recommendation, Transcom has allowed us to kind of start a number of initiatives building newer replacement software essentially for the old system. And so the first thing we did was a redesign of move.mil, which is essentially just a Wikipedia tool, if you will, of how to move within the military. And so it's like a pretty purely informational site, but it was written in plain language versus kind of the government speak that it used to be kind of delivered in for service families to use. It was user tested. It has the information that families most want to see and they care about. And that was something that we were able to do as DDS, just kind of peeling that part off, replacing that really quickly. We launched it in December of last year. And at the same time, 
we started kicking off um, what we call the personal property prototype, which will be a replacement system to DPS. And so that has been under rapid development as well, and that will launch this June um, with a limited number of service families, but continue to expand in its availability, hopefully, you know, help serving a lot more service families in the summer of 2019. So when you say launch in June, it's a probably a fairly soft launch or beta launch, whatever you know we want to call it. And roughly, how many how many families do you know yet? Yeah, it'll be um, essentially exactly right a soft launch. So it will be with select service branches and select families. Um, we're channeling it pretty much down by the geography and the route because it is a very new system. Like Elliot talked about, we were able to leverage kind of best practice and modern technology as far as having APIs for the moving companies to deal with, easy, intuitive, responsive interfaces. The other thing that the new system will have is the ability for a service spouse specifically to have their own account and track their own move progress, where before they were kind of left in a black box and not having access to anything related to their move, even though kind of when we went out and did research, we found that service spouses in particular handle this process actually more often than service members do in the instance that they're married. And so because of all of those drastic changes, we're looking to kind of essentially pilot the new system, work out the kinks with up to probably about 2,000 families over the course of the summer. Excellent. And now imagine all this is going to be built on modern technology using the DevOps, Agile approach, cloud. Just give me some of the high-level basics of, of the technology that's going into this new system. I think one of the things that we're really big on is, is open source technology, obviously. So we're doing a lot of development out in open, uh, hosted on GitHub. The stack itself is a React front end with a Go back end. And I think, you know, pretty pretty snappy, right? Like we're using the uh, US web design standards, which have a lot of usability uh, research and, and things across the federal government. So I think those, those are kind of the big things uh, in terms of the, the tech stack. And when, just to, to bring it down to level, when you talk to you know, React front end and Go back end, uh, break that down. Uh, React and Go are, are, are what specifically? Just oh. for our audience, just Sorry. in case if they're not they're not in the know. Okay, no worries. Uh, yeah, so they're just. Um, I think they're pretty. Go is a, a language created for uh, by Google for sort of microservices, and so it's you know really um, it works very well at very high scale, um, right? So large volume, and you know I, I don't think one of the challenges with the previous system was was you know running into these capacity issues, dealing you know at these peak peak volume moments, and I think using some of these industry best practices, we will you know we feel confident that we'll be able to handle any of the load that's thrown at us. You know, some of the cloud stuff you mentioned, I mean, adding the ability to, to scale dynamically, you know, infrastructure, not, not having sort of physical pieces of infrastructure, but scaling as, you know, as demand hits the, the system, I think is another sort of best practice that, you know, le- leveraging cloud solutions. I mean, that's, that's key. We have to take a break. My guests are Lauren Fantano, a project manager and designer, and Elliot Wilkes, a digital services expert for the U.S. Digital Service. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests are Lauren Fantano, a project manager and designer, and Elliot Wilkes, a digital services expert for the U.S. Digital Service. As Lauren said earlier on, it's an incredible number. It's 400,000 moves a year, every family moving every one to three years. So the scale, that was my next question, must be one of the toughest pieces because, I mean, I'm sure there are 
patterns you can follow, but, but how do you know when people are going to move? And you know, for all you know, you get a you expect February to be a, a, a light month, and all of a sudden something happens, and it's a it's a heavy month. And how do you scale up? So imagine you guys have, or that's part of what you're testing and, and building that f- flexibility and agility into this new system. It's not just kind of like the the volume that you would think of for a moving, uh, you know, a traditional site of just having a large number of users look at the system. Although that certainly is part of it, I think another you know important piece to call out um, in the overall problem and kind of how we had to structure the software to make sure that reliability stayed constant is you know the Department of Defense is the largest customer of household goods moving in the U.S. by by a lot. And so when you look at specifically kind of those volumes, and a move can be quite spread out, you know, for a service family, they might schedule their move two or three months in advance. They're communicating back and forth with the moving company. If for some reason they're going overseas, they might have things in storage for multiple years. So there's a lot of shipments that are kind of open at any one given point. And there's a lot of communication that's going to go back and forth between, you know, an industry, essentially, and the service families and the government stakeholders. And so, you know, not only is it having reliability of just being able to keep the lights on in the system, but it's having the complexity and the business rules to be able to handle kind of these last minute shifts in volume of saying, you know, we need to introduce new movers quickly because, you know, we're starting to black out. You know, there's not enough trucks to move families from certain geographic areas to others at certain times of the year. And so you need a system that, you know, has the guts, you know, not only to be live, but also to be responsive and flexible enough that we can kind of introduce new users and new complexity kind of at any given moment. Lauren, earlier on, you you mentioned all the keywords of uh, modern software design, you know, the usability, user design. But maybe talk a little bit more about how Defense Digital Service, U.S. Transcom, are working in ensuring that the users' are, needs are being met. Do you have, for instance, testers? Do you have people, families? I know you're testing out with the pilot, but even before the pilot stage, who is ensuring that you're, you're hitting all the right notes? That has been a critical part of our strategy at the Defense Digital Service, particularly with this project, knowing just how kind of entwined it is to like a family's lifestyle. You know, it's a really stressful point for the entire family, and so we want to make sure that we're understanding and not contributing to that, you know, as much as possible. And so really, last summer, we kicked off kind of a service member first focus with our user research study. And so we traveled to, you know, eight different cities across the U.S. and only met with service families and spouses kind of in the throes of the moving process and really just watched and learned about how the current software and the current processes were causing pain points, you know, along along the way. Simple things of like not being able to check your move status on your phone, you know, when your laptop or your computer is packed on a truck, you know, because the system's only available, the old system's only available on a PC. Those sorts of things were things we were able to pick up on before we even started the development process. And then since then, you know, we test pretty much weekly um, going out in the field to different transportation offices across the the U.S. and some remote sessions showing kind of every single screen design that we think of implementing to service families and making sure that the language makes sense, that it's intuitive to use, um, and that, it, you know, we've really gotten away from a lot of the acronyms that are, are very standard to the transportation industry, but wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to the everyday person. And so... 
you know, that is the number one thing that we're kind of looking to do. And it is a shift, I think, for the government to not write a really long requirements document up front, but instead to say, this is the problem we're trying to solve. We're trying to make moving better for families. And then just using that as kind of the forcing function, you know, in an agile manner um, as we continue to evolve. Is that the, the biggest difference for members of the military, uh, service members and their families with move.mil and some of the other new systems you're putting together is the ease of use, the, the on-demand, like what's the biggest benefit that you, you hope or they are receiving already? Overall, my hope for this software and for this program is that, you know, we start to treat it more like a traditional service you would find in the private sector, you know, and that the software essentially we use user research to understand the context in which service members are going through particular situations and have the technology meet them where they are. Um, and so, you know, I think that was a key insight very early on is that, you know, in the same way that you would expect something from Amazon or FedEx to have customer service just get from point A to point B and be able to track along the way, Service members, just because they're receiving a service from the government, don't distinguish their expectations as any differently than what they would find in private industry. And so, you know, really, I think that expectation for the software is still there, being able to be, you know, accessible on a mobile phone, allowing all the family members to have their own account and track information, you know, that sort of thing is really critical, essentially, for this this program to succeed and to, to make a big leap forward. You mentioned the pilot that's happening this summer. What else is on your agenda? What, what else is on your priority list to improve the personal property system for DOD, uh, whether it's this year or looking into, you know, further into 2018 and into 2019? From our perspective, one of the things that's pretty big is working with Transcom. The manner in which DDS and USDS more broadly engages programs is really sort of uh, providing, you know, targeted support for a short period of time. And so we're really getting the initial system up and together, um, you know, removing some of the roadblocks that, you know, are common in government for developing good software and sort of good practices in terms of infrastructure and, and hosting and things like that. And really, you know, making sure that we're handing it back to Transcom in a responsible way and making sure that we're good stewards in that regard. So, you know, making sure we're also able to involve all of the different stakeholders in this process, because one of the things that's really interesting and complicated about this particular problem is that it, you know, this has so many people with equity in the process. So there's people that start when you get your orders to move somewhere, right? And so there's sort of the HR and personnel community, and then that goes through to the the transportation folks that do the logistics, and then you go towards the end of the process to the folks that pay and, and report to Congress. And I think making sure that all of those voices are represented in the solution, and then there is sort of uh, a setup that allows them to be um, give consistent uh, input, but not just the stakeholders. It's also maintaining sort of the, the user voice in that process. So I think for us, it's really establishing a lot of a lot of those sort of best practices and working with Transcom to uh, make sure that they're able to uh, keep this going after after we hand the keys back over to them. All right, excellent. Uh, and you guys seem to be down going down the right path and a lot of good successes. So uh, thank you for that effort and, and I really do appreciate your time today. My guests were Lauren Fantano, a project manager and designer, and Elliot Wilkes, a digital services expert at the Defense Digital Service. Lauren, Elliot, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 a.m.
You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. 